Did I say good morning already? Is it still in the morning? <laughs> no, it's really good to see you. Hopefully in about half an hour's time you'll say it was really good to see you too, Jamie. <laughs> we'll see. We're um, working our way through a series called Kingdom Culture. Would you believe it's part four already? No, surely not. Uh, I don't know about you, but I- I've, been, I've been really enjoying the series. And it's a chance, as as I see it, it's a chance for us to set our stall out once again. And I'd say this, if if you're new around here, it's lovely to have you. And this will tell you a little bit, I think, of what we stand for here at the barn. But I'd also say this, if you're old, got to be careful what I say, haven't I? If you've been around here for a while... So it's easy to lose sight of the dream. It's it's easy to neglect the main thing. It's easy to forget how far we've come, actually. It's easy as as church to drift into cog-turning, or box-ticking, or maintaining. And so for me, this, this series is a timely reminder of some of our values of our heartbeat as a church and the chance to reignite some dreams. I'm convinced this is a a powerful propulsion point for us. Do you know what? We're not trying to be ordinary. We're not trying to be just like everyone else. We're not even just trying to keep people happy, although personally as pastor I prefer that. You know, we're trying to create a kingdom culture where God can move unhindered. And so for the, for the series, the first scene, the first week was, was setting the scene really. It was talking about the importance of culture. I painted the picture of the farmer's soil, how important it is to have the right and fertile soil if you want that seed to grow. We, we painted the picture of a greenhouse. If the church is like a greenhouse, what environmental conditions do we need to have so that God can do in here what we are convinced that he wants to do? Then for, for weeks two and three, just gone, we dealt with two significant characteristics of, of kingdom culture. The first one was, was entitled, Always Full of Grace. And, and last week was entitled, Positively Positive. I, I gave a few clues last week that, that this week we were going to kick it up a gear or two. And so this, the message this morning is entitled Naturally Supernatural. Humor me just for a minute. I'd like you to close your eyes. Last, he says. I'd like you to close your eyes and I'd like you to imagine what it would have been like to have been on scene with Jesus 2,000 years ago. Just for a second, as you wake up to a new morning, just feel the excitement levels. Just sense that that surging joy as, as kingdom plans start to unfold. Just imagine the delight and the confidence that you'd feel just being around Jesus. 
And imagine that tingling sense of anticipation. So, so waking up to it, you can open your eyes now. Waking up to a new day, what are you expecting? I should imagine, in, in some ways, a glorious unpredictability. I mean, it was a roller coaster ride, wasn't it? On the other hand, actually, it was extremely predictable. Because Jesus set out his stall right at the very beginning and went ahead, full speed, and did it. Luke 4, verse 18. Quoting from Isaiah 61, Jesus read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favour has come. Remember the scene. Jesus was handed the scroll. It was opened to him and he read from Isaiah 61 and declared, today this is fulfilled right here in your midst. It was his way of saying, this is my mandate. This is what I stand for. This is what I do. This is my purpose. This is my passion. This is my priority. And then the gospel stories show Jesus walking out, living out Isaiah 61. The sick were healed. The dead were raised. The lame leapt. The deaf heard. The blind saw. The lost were found. The broken were put back together again. The hurting were loved. Sinners were forgiven. And captives were set gloriously free. And on top of that, Jesus told stories that explained what what his kingdom would and should be like. In essence, Jesus spent three and a half years systematically demonstrating and modeling and teaching. And all that time he was, he was preparing the soil. He was setting an atmosphere. He was, he was creating an expectation. He was defining, if you like, a new normal. And actually he was, he was crafting a significant and different upside down culture. He was introducing the ways of the kingdom. So pausing on that and moving forward a few weeks in our Bible timeline, let's look at the transition from Jesus to to the beginning of the ministry of the early church. What did Jesus instruct them to do, first of all? How did he launch them on their way? And what did kingdom culture look and feel like in the book of Acts? Well, I'm going to have fun just for a couple of minutes. We're going to go on a lightning whistle-stop tour of the book of Acts. It starts, Acts chapter 1, with Jesus' instructions to wait until. Luke, uh, Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power, ability, efficiency and might when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria 
and to the ends of the earth. He said it this way in Luke 24, verse 49, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you are being clothed with power from on high. That's Acts chapter 1. And then in Acts chapter 2, we have that incredible scene that we call Pentecost. All the believers were gathered together in one place and like a roaring mighty wind and a burning flaming fire, the Holy Spirit descended upon them. And as, as, as Peter said, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy of, of Joel chapter 2, which says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And it was so sensational that day that the people looking on thought that they were drunk. And we see in that Peter's stunning transformation. Peter goes from impetuous and doubting and denying. Almost overnight he goes to passionate and bold and compelling. I love love the summary verse in Acts chapter 2 verse 43 which says, Everyone was filled with awe. I love that line. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Right? So there's Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's come. Next scene we have is Acts chapter 3. And the scene here is Peter and John, who of course were two of Jesus' main disciples, were walking, as they did probably every day, past the temple gate called Beautiful. And there at the, at the floor, groveling on his face, was a, was a cripple crying, Have mercy on me, a sinner. And we know the song from Sunday school. Peter looked at him and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And as the song said, he went leaping and dancing and praising God. Didn't take long for the trouble to kick in. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were tossed before the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish religious council, and they were thrown in prison. They were undeterred. And when they came out and they they assembled back with the church as they were gathered behind closed doors, they prayed a great prayer and said, God, would you give us more and more boldness? And the account in Acts chapter 4 says that the whole building shook. Acts chapter 5 verse 12 says that the apostles before many miraculous signs and wonders. Towards the end of that chapter, we find that the people would even bring stretchers and cripples so that they could pass under Peter's shadow as he passed by, and they were healed. In Acts chapter 6, we're introduced to, to Stephen, the, the first martyr. Verse 8, Stephen, a man of God, full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. In Acts chapter 8, there's a story where Philip, who was another of the, the apostles, he, he converted, if you remember, an Ethiopian eunuch, uh, Ethiopian official, treasurer, whatever he was. He was reading from the prophet Isaiah in his chariot, saying, what on earth does this mean? God brought Philip alongside him. He led him to the Lord. He got saved and baptized. And then it said that Philip was translated. He disappeared. And he was lifted in an instant from out there in the desert to back to the city where he'd been before. 
In Acts chapter 9, that the persecutor in chief Saul was, was gloriously converted as he saw a light on the Damascus road. And in that chapter, we have the first incident of someone being raised from the dead. Her name was Dorcas. Next chapter, chapter 10, I hope you get in the picture here. Chapter 10, a man called Cornelius, who was a Gentile, a Roman, had a dream, and the Holy Spirit summoned Peter, drew him across to, to meet up with Cornelius, and as a result, that a whole bunch of Gentiles were, were saved and healed and baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. I could go on. In Acts chapter 16, as, as, as Paul and Silas are in chains in prison, singing praises to God, their chains fell off and the prison doors flew right open. Acts chapter 19 records extraordinary miracles. Let me read this. Verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left him. The next chapter, a man called Eutychus falls asleep during the sermon, falls three stories to his death on the concrete below. Paul raised him from the dead. Acts chapter 28, Paul is is, is shipwrecked. He's bitten by a deadly poisonous snake and is unharmed. There's no reaction, no swelling. And as a result of that, he, he got to lay hands and heal the father of the chief of the island. They, they were on Malta at this time. He was healed. And then it says, verse 9, that all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. Do you get the picture? Stop me if I've been a little bit too subtle so far this morning. Do you know what? I, I've heard it expressed like this. If you take the supernatural out of the book of Acts, there's not a whole amount left. Which leads, for me at least, to, to a pretty challenging question. If you, take the, if you were to take the supernatural out of the barn, what would be left? And the danger is, far too much. You know, we'd, we'd have lovely friendship groups. We'd have some well-run programs. We'd have lots of great theory. The danger is actually that it gets worse than that and you end up with a very religious spirit, a lot of legalism, politics. I'll be honest with you. I don't want to go to an unsupernatural church. I don't want to burst your bubble, folks, but we're not going to change the world with the very best efforts of Jamie Cox and friends. Wonderful though my friends are. As the old saying goes, twisted slightly, I can't even heal a mosquito with a toothache. Mosquito have teeth, that's for sure. Now, I've always joked, I've always joked that if revival breaks out down the street, not only do I give you all permission to go, you'll be behind me at the front of the queue. Here's some good news for you. I'm convinced there is much evidence of God at work in significant ways here at the barn. If you've missed some of the news uh, over the last few weeks, a couple of weeks ago we had a big youth gathering that we hosted here called Relentless. 
Every now and again in church, you have a day or a service or a night where you kind of go, wow. I know we've been building to something. I know we've been sowing seed. I know that we've been intentional in what we're doing. But it's as though the Holy Spirit just sweeps in and picks you up and, and takes you up several levels in one go. You know, we've run relentless several times. It's been great. It's been really, really good. This last time, we had 160 people in this room, most of whom were teenagers. We had 17 different youth groups represented, and we have had 12 teenagers put their hands up at the end and make a first-time commitment to Jesus. We have a ministry here called Mix. Again, Mix has been going for some time. Ruth will tell you exactly how long to the second. But you know what we've seen, and it's been great all that time, but just in the last few months, we've just seen an increase. You know, last week it seemed really quiet. We only had 75 people at Mix. You know, that would put it in the top 10 of English churches just on its own. You know, it's as though the numbers, something's growing there. You know, stay and play? Stay and play is a real giggle. Stay and play is our... our uh, parents and, and uh, preschool group that we run on a Thursday and a Friday. Do you know that started, Catherine started that in our living room with a handful of ladies, many of whom are here today with their young ones who are not quite so young. Now this last week, actually not this week, I don't know the figures this week, but the week before we had over 200 people at our stay in place. It, it's just gone nuts. You know, we don't advertise stay in play. In fact, I've written down here, we de-advertise. We say, please don't tell anybody because we can't cope with so many more people. So, stay and play out of control, which is just how I like it. Claire Griffiths, not quite so much. God is doing something there. God is at work in little ways. In the conversation they have, it may not be the glory cloud. We may not be having people raised from the dead, but I tell you what, in the conversations, people's hearts are being stirred and turned and they're picking something up. Do you know why Stand Place succeeds? It's not because we have the best building. It's not because we serve the best coffee. It's not because we have the best toys, although all of those may be true. It's because of the culture. It's because of the culture that they have created. It's so attractive and compelling to people. You know, I'd, and I'd say, that's all great. That's all encouraging. But for me, I have, an, I have an unstinting and compelling belief that our church should look rather more like the early church. You know, in my observation at least, barn life is, is rather lacking shaking buildings. You know, we're not seeing many people raised from the dead. We haven't yet seen any evangelist vanishing into thin air. And you know what? If you, if, you, if you go through the annals of church history, there have been some fantastic times. There are some great stories. But I would say that, it, that it's fair to say that, that at times, church has lost that supernatural element. So here's the point. The point is is that naturally supernatural should be evident in our culture. In other words, supernatural to us should be natural. Because Jesus redefined what normal looks like. 
The early church walked that out, as we've just heard, in striking ways. I, I don't know about you, but I know what I can do in my natural strength, and it is singularly unimpressive. But I've had a glimpse of what God can do, and I'm captivated. And for me, in my life, those glimpses changed everything. I'm prepared to give my life in pursuit of that. I have a hunger for this mysterious thing called revival. Revival literally means God bringing life back. It means a place that is overwhelmed with resurrection power. Resurrection life. Filled with the power and the presence and the glory of God. And you know, for me, that is a very tantalizing prospect. I want to tell you a little story, just for context. I think I've told this before. A few years ago, when we were still living in Canada, uh, Catherine and the boys and I were, were at Wasega Beach, where we lived. We were fortunate to live on the longest freshwater sandy beach, I believe, in the world. And we were there one day, and the kids were playing in the shallows, and we were wading around. And there was another family there. And you know what it's like, the, the, the adults stand kind of very prim and proper, and safe distance apart, and before you know it, the children are playing together. But I found myself in conversation eventually with this chap. And he kind of skirted around the what do you do question. And he said that he was working on a language project. At which point my, my kind of antenna went to a language project in the Indian Ocean. And to cut a long story short, it turned out that they were missionaries in a little island in the Indian Ocean. They were on furlough and they'd come back home. And we got chatting and actually we, we interviewed them in church. Eventually we befriended them. A little bit. But you know what? It was, it was fascinating hearing their story. I mean, they were lovely people. They were desperately well-intentioned. They'd given up everything. But you know, in their last stretch as missionaries, they had seen zero conversions. Not, not even close to one. I felt a little bit for them. You, you could see their pain. And then they started telling the stories of what was going on on the island. The island, of course, was ruled and dominated by the witch doctors. And there was no doubt from what I could hear from their stories that at least 99% of the supernatural power in evidence on that island was coming from the witch doctors. And I'm kind of looking at it thinking, there's something wrong with this picture. I remember saying to these guys at one point, I'm sure God's forgiven me, you know, they're coming at you with atomic nuclear warheads and cannons and fire. And all you've got is a pea shooter and you're going... You know, we've got to turn this round somehow. Do you know what? We are not going to change the world with natural church. However nice we are, you look lovely. However nice we are, however, however well-intentioned we are, however organized we are. Jesus said, quite famously, on this rock, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's a very different 99% to 1% in that verse. I will build my church. And here comes to me a key question. What are we prepared to let him build? Are we going to let him shape his culture or ours? 
Do we want to be powerful or polite? Deep question. As his children, are we going to be radically responsive or are we going to be reserved and reticent? As the church, are we going to sit on our seats or are we going to fall on our knees? Listen to this one. Do we want our programs on our terms or do we want his presence on his terms? Now, I think we can be so desperate trying to make church welcoming to people, which is a good thing, that we forget to make it welcoming to the Holy Spirit. Let's ask this question who's in charge? Is it the clock? They're staring at me, even now. Is it the clock? Is it our comfort levels? Or is it God Almighty? Am I making you nervous? No, being shaken up is okay if you trust the one doing the shaking. Paul wrote this, 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. I don't know about you, I've heard a lot of talk. I wonder if it's time for some power, don't you? 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5, again Paul said, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Commentator Warren Wisby that I read a lot, said this, The power of the church comes from the Holy Spirit, not man. Ordinary people were able to do extraordinary things because the Spirit of God was at work in their lives. He said, The ministry of the Holy Spirit is not a luxury. It is an absolute necessity. Naturally supernatural is not a luxury. If we want to see kingdom dreams fulfilled, it's an absolute necessity. And so like Jesus, like the early church, our culture should be naturally supernatural. To which I say, let's do all we can to till that soil. To increase the spiritual temperature, to pluck out any thorns and weeds. There's so much I I could say on this and have said before. This is probably a whole series on its own. I doubt you want a whole series this morning. So so just for the sake of time, let's look at some of the hallmarks of a naturally supernatural culture. These are some of the things that we should see around here. These are some of the things that we should want to see in the culture, in the soil of our church. I've got six. I'll go through them quickly. The first one is miracles. Miracles, as we've already read, were a significant part of Jesus' mandate. They're a significant part, I'll read in a second, of of Jesus' Mark 16 commission to the church. And of course, miracles are demonstrated throughout the book of Acts. Mark 16, reading from verse 17. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. Any believers out there today? 
They will cast out demons in my name and they will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. And then subsequent to that, verse 20, it says, And the disciples went everywhere and preached. The Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Now, and I'm sure no one in here is anti-miracles. I'm sure we could all use a few. <laughs> and none of us would complain if we saw rather more in the church. And here's a little line that I love. If it's in the Bible, it should be in the church. Yeah. Do you know what? We've just sung the song, He's a God of Miracles. You know, our church should reflect his nature. Second one on my list, I said there's six. Second one is, is prophetic. Then we read Acts 2.17. In the last days, God said, this is a quote from the book of Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jeremiah 3, verse 3, Ask me, says the Lord, ask me, and I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about things to come. Do you know, when we talk about the prophetic, what we're talking about is an eye that can see and an eye that is looking. And of course, you understand, I'm not talking about natural eyes, I'm talking about a spiritual faith eye. The prophetic means that, that we can see, but also requires that we are looking. Did you know there's more to this world than what we can naturally see? And I don't know about you, I, I don't want to be limited to what I see, and to what I know, and to what I understand. Because, you know, God uses the prophetic. God God uses prophetic gifts to help people see clearer and to see deeper and to see further. We need that. We need that prophetic edge across the life of our church. And if we truly have a naturally supernaturally culture, there will be evidence of the prophetic. Number three, I know I'm kind of just you know, just sending out little tempters, teasers this morning. Number three is the anointing. 2 Timothy 1, verse 6 and 7. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. For me, I, I grew up as a young Christian man under the tutelage of an Australian healing evangelist called Steve Ryder. And so for me, I, I have seen and I respect 
the healing anointing. When you've seen miracles like that, whether it be in, in, in crusades in stadiums or lobbies in hotels, you learn to appreciate that anointing. Interestingly, a couple of weeks ago, I was in the church office and I had a phone call from Steve Ryder's wife. I haven't spoken to that family for probably 20 years, hardly. And you know what? I think he's probably in his 70s now. But he's currently doing uh, crusades in Myanmar and he's doing crusades in Venezuela. Anyone know what's going on politically in Venezuela right now? You know, he says that the, the miracles that we're seeing, the salvations that we're seeing, it blows what happened back in my day in the early 90s in, in the Czech Republic and in Slovakia. It blows it out of the water. You can go on to YouTube and Google uh, Steve Ryder in Venezuela. God is still at work. Amen. And do you know what? It's, it's as though some people, I'll express this as best I can, some people just have oil on their forehead. They just have power in their hands. They have wisdom on their lips. Why? Because God Almighty put it there. And so the, the, the supernatural culture attends to that. As 2 Timothy 1 says, it stirs it. It stirs the gift. It, it honours it. It releases it. And it makes room for it. One of the best examples I can think in my head was when I reasonably soon back into my time in England, I went to a certain conference that I won't mention. And we were in the evening meeting. And bless them, they were so desperate for God to move. You know, and they were almost crying out and say, you know, you could just tell they just longing for someone to prophesy. And a couple of people kind of stumbled. And the worship hadn't quite picked up. And they were desperate for God to do something. Well, I, I get that. I get that. I'm not criticising them at all. But you know, in the corner, sitting down there, was the man of God they'd invited to preach. And I'm sitting right at the back saying, just get the gift on the stage. Get the gift on the stage and everything will open up. Everything will open up. And actually, that's exactly what happened. They kind of faffed around for an hour or so and eventually the man whose name you'd recognise got up and preached and everything opened up. Because there was a gift. There was an anointing. And you need to appreciate that. You need to release it. You need to get it up there. Think of of, of Relentless. Recently, we, we had Laura Hancock. She works for Youth of Christ. That woman has a gift on her life. We shouldn't be surprised that when she got up and she communicated with those teenagers, they became like putty in her hand. It was hysterical afterwards, watching all the teenage girls just hanging around Laura Hancock. Why? Because she has a gift. You know, refreshing the other day, we invited Pete Reed to come. That man has a gift we, we drew from, we appreciated that. I don't know about you, but the message from that on night is still running around and around and around in my head. Because God uses those gifts as can openers. Whether it be words of wisdom and knowledge, whether it be the preaching gift, whether it be a skilled worship leader. God anoints those people and uses them as a can opener, as it were, to open everything wide up so that he can come in and move. Amen. I need to speed up. You're slowing me down. Okay, number four is, is be present and attentive. 
King James, Proverbs 4.20, My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. There's an attending. There's an inclining of the ear that we need. Revelation 2 verse 7, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. You know, we must be attentive to what God is doing and wants to do. Remember that God is is at work in the still small voice as well as the thunder and lightning. You know, we, we we should ever be on the lookout for what God is already doing and ready to jump on board. So, so as, we, as we gather, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? As you personally are praying, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? As you're having that interesting conversation with that stranger on the train tomorrow, ask the question, God, what are you saying? And what are you doing? Because I guarantee that he is. But the reality is we will only hear if we're listening. Obvious statement, I know. So we have to ask, what is the word of God saying? What is the compassion of God stirring? Let's not be quenchers and suppressors. Let's let's not be ignorers. Let's be present And let's be attentive. Number five is obedient to the leading of the Spirit. John 10, verse 2. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice, Jesus we're talking about here, and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. Galatians 5 verse 25. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. If we want to see supernaturally natural, naturally supernatural, then I tell you what, we have to let the Holy Spirit lead And we have to obediently follow, however unusual, however unexpected, however inconvenient. I'd say this, tremendous results are available every time we listen to and obey the Holy Spirit. That is where supernatural fruit is grown. And for me, you know, I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather take the risk and get it wrong occasionally than never step out. There's so much more I could say on this, but for the sake of time, our default position should be obedience. Willing obedience, quick obedience, and accurate obedience. Number six, nearly there. Uh, the supernatural, supernatural culture in, invites God in. Psalm 24, verse 7, this is the Living Bible. Open up, O ancient gates, and let the King of glory in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, invincible in battle. Yes, open wide the gates and let the King of glory in. Psalm 100, shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him, singing with joy. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving. 
go into his courts with praise. You know, that, that naturally supernatural culture is determined to open the door. And it does so through worship and it does so through prayer so that the King of Glory can come in. And you know what? He so desperately wants to come in. But here come the challenging questions to us. Do we, do we let him? Does he really have our invitation? And when he comes, do we yield? How responsive are we? How open, how passionate are we? Now, worship is so crucial because worship sets the atmosphere. Worship opens the door and worship lets him in. You know, we won't have revival without it. Okay, let's wrap up. Do you know what? We need the power of God in this place. We need less of us and more of him. We need an outpouring of Holy Spirit presence and power. And you know what? If we want to see God do what we long to do, if we want God to truly change us, to, to, to ignite the church and to impact our world, you know what? It's time to swing the doors wide open and let him in. It means church might look a little different. But you know what? I'm okay with that. Let me put out a final tantalizing thought. What do you think church would have looked like this morning if at 10 point naught naught the back door opened and King Jesus walked into this room in the flesh? What a thought. But you know what? My theology has Jesus showing up every week. Matthew 18, 20 says, where two or three gather together in my name, there am I with them. I am there in the midst of them. That is our expectation. And I'd like to think that if that verse is true, if that is the case, then that should show, don't you? What we need, I think, and we recognise we're on a journey, what we need is a little culture modification. What we need, as we've said before, we need to fully embrace the nature of the kingdom. Amen. And we need to become naturally supernatural. I'm going to pray. Uh, if the worship team would like to come forward, that would be great. Let's stand. I'm well aware this is all about God. It's not about us. Well aware that it's his power. Well aware that he's the one that anoints. He's the one who speaks. He's the one who does it. What's our job? Our job is to prepare the environment. Our job, if this is like a greenhouse, is to set this place out where God is welcome and where God can move unhindered. There's a reason it's called supernatural. It's because he does it. The natural is what we can do. The supernatural is what he can do. So our part in this is to fall on our knees. Our part on this is to humble ourselves. Our part in this is to repent. Our part in this is to call out. 
Our pile is to worship him with all we've got and to pray to him with passion. And in doing so, we prepare this environment where God can move supernaturally. And that's what we so desperately need. Let's pray. Lord God, our prayer this morning is that you would come. It's that you would come and that you would work in this place. If we are like soil, would you turn us and till us and water us and fertilize us? Lord, would you take us on this journey? Holy Spirit, would you come and build your church? That means your church, your way. Not our way, your way. Lord, we want it to be your church. We want it to be your way. We want it to be on your terms. So we might see your power. (coughs) Holy Spirit, come do that, we pray, as we journey together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.